This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, imagine if you could predict the future. If you could spot trends and identify patterns that other people overlooked. I'm joined this week by Rohit Bhargava. He's the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Non-Obvious, How to Think Different, Curate Ideas, and Predict the Future. We're going to talk about the big mistakes that people make when trying to spot trends We're going to realize why real trends aren't necessarily industry-specific, and we'll share with you the five habits that you can adopt that will help you curate and identify trends that other people overlook. You're going to learn a ton from Rohit Bhargava. Rohit, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. So I know that given the timing that you've got your trends for 2016, so give us a highlight of some of the, the biggest trends that you're seeing. And then through our discussion today, we'll, we'll give our listeners some insight into how you come up with these and how they can apply these to their business. But first, what are the big things that you're seeing out there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, you know, the first thing I'll, I'll share is that I think about trends a little bit differently than probably most, pe- most of your audience is used to. I mean, I think um, a lot of us at the end of every year, they, we see – uh, news articles coming out saying, you know, here are the top digital trends for 2016, or here's the, you know, seven things about sales you absolutely have to know, uh, you know, coming up in the new year. And, you know, I think that unfortunately for all of us, a lot of those are based entirely on either bullshit or being totally obvious. And so what I try and do is I try and share ideas that are non obvious. That's actually the title of the report and the title of the book. Sure. Kind of making a promise there. Um, but I also try and focus on what's going to happen in the next year in terms of acceleration. So for me, a trend is a um, uh, an observation about the accelerating present. So it's something that's already happening, but a lot of people aren't paying attention to. And if you start paying attention to it and predict that it's going to be more impactful in the next year, you can do something with it. So, so to answer your question, um, a couple of the trends I've been tracking, I mean, one of them is what I called strategic downgrading. And it was the idea that as more and more of the, the tools and things that we're used to around us become infused with technology, there's going to be cases where we prefer the older version of it. So you think about like vinyl records and how people are going back to that. Or you think about like 8-bit video games and video games that I used to play as a kid on the Nintendo and those games still coming out and being new and people actually enjoying them. Uh, these are all examples of choices that people are making to say, you know what, sometimes I just don't want the technology stuff. I just want to enjoy the experience the way it was. Um, so that's one that that's really interesting for me because it's cultural, but it's also technology, but it's sort of the flip of technology. Yeah, but and, and I like that because I think that the the obvious side would be, oh, we're going to keep keep evolving. The non-obvious side being, yeah, and some people long for the way it used to be, and they're looking for things to be 
simplified and nostalgic. Yeah, and you think about like, you know, what does that mean in terms of how things are designed? Uh, and I have a Samsung phone. I'm not an Apple guy. I use Samsung. And on my Samsung phone, I've got a power saving mode that I can flip it to ultra power saving, it's called. Yep. And when I flip to ultra power saving, then Samsung only gives me access to the things that they feel are like totally necessary. So all the apps are disabled except for Facebook, which apparently is totally necessary. <laughs> but also my phone. Is that works. one of the trends too? And yeah, yeah, right. Facebook <laughs> is always like necessary. Right, yeah, totally. <laughs> But my phone also works and my texting works. But when I go into ultra power saving mode, if I have 5% battery life left, that 5% will now last for another six hours. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> that is a total downgrade. But when my battery is down to 5% and it's 7 p.m. and I'm still, you know, out doing whatever, I really need my phone to be on at least for texting so I can connect with people. So that's hugely valuable for me. And I'm totally willing to give up Instagram and Vine and YouTube and browsing and all that stuff. Just to have a phone that texts. Yeah, sure. So this idea of strategic downgrading is one. What's what's another one that that is non-obvious that will probably catch people by surprise? Well, so uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to look at what everybody's talking about and then take a little bit of a different angle to it. So – you know, one thing everybody's talking about right now is virtual reality. Um, you've got these goggles. You can get the Google Cardboard cheapo ones. You can get the Samsung VR. There's a bunch of other ones coming out. Microsoft just launched theirs to developers coming out like late in late March. Um, so everybody's talking about virtual reality, and the temptation is, oh, the trend is virtual reality. Uh, but actually, in my report, I say the real trend is what I call virtual empathy. And the idea behind virtual empathy is the more we're able to take these goggles, put them on, and transport ourselves into Syria, for example, and take the viewpoint of a Syrian refugee and look around and we're basically like in the refugee camp, we cause ourselves to have more empathy for somebody who's not like ourselves and in a more powerful way. So there's a bunch of research that's been done in Stanford at the Human Interaction Lab where there's a, there's a virtual reality experience where you can experience the life of a cow being led to the slaughterhouse. And so, you know, you're basically putting on these goggles and you're sort of crawling around and you feel like you're the cow. And as you're being led to the slaughter, you experience this emotion of like fear and sadness and the stuff that a cow would go through. And and what the whole research was around was can we create more empathy for animals if people went through an experience like this? And in fact, they found when they tested people afterwards that yeah, People do have more empathy towards animals or the environment or these things that are really like big topics. But if we have a virtual experience of them in a more powerful way, we're much more likely to understand them and empathize with them or people in a different way. I think one of the keys that you're pointing out also is that it's not so much the technology as more the application of it. Yeah, it's the human uh, side of it. I mean, I focus a lot on psychology. I focus a lot on human behavior. Um, and I think that it's easy to focus on the tech or the platform. You know, like a, I can't ima- you can't imagine how many times, you know, two years ago people were like, oh, the hottest new trend is, um, you know, Periscope. Like how is a platform – and Periscope, for your readers who aren't familiar with it, is basically a platform that allows you to live stream video of whatever you're seeing at the moment online. Um, how is that a trend? That's just like a thing. So the, the trend might be the emergence of kind of real-time video yeah. and people being able to video broadcast to engage their audiences. That might be a trend, but the, the, the technology platform itself, not so much. 
Yeah, I mean, our shared virtual experiences or shared live experiences or, you know, any of those sorts of things could be the trend, but it's never just like the platform. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about in the in in the book is this notion of spotting trends and in, in, in essence, predicting the future, which is obviously um, not so much going out, you know, 500 years, but really spotting the trends of what people might be interested in, what's happening in their industry with their clients going forward. What are the traps that executives and business people tend to fall in that prevents them from seeing trends the way you see them? Well, it's interesting because in posing the question, I think you actually um, brought up two of them. Uh, One is this perception that we can spot trends because they're just out there and we just kind of watch them go by and we're like, ah, that's a trend. And I don't believe that's how trend uh, uh, work. I don't believe that's how you can understand trends or discover them. Instead, I describe uh, finding trends as a process of trend curation. And to me, curation is the most important word. And it's basically like what a curator in a museum does. You have a collection of, you know, a thousand possible paintings that you could put into this, you know, Asian contemporary art exhibit, and you choose the best 12. You don't put all thousand paintings in there. That's the definition of curating. You're telling a story by uh, narrowing down what you actually show and pay attention to. And I think if you apply that same idea to ideas, you then get to a point where you're starting to curate what trends could be. So that's the first thing. And then to your question of like, what are the traps people fall into? The second one is they believe that trends are industry specific. And most of the time when people say, what are the trends? They say, well, what are the trends in financial services? Or what are the trends in retail? And that's not how I do my trend report. Instead, what I look at is what are the macro trends that are going across multiple industries? And in fact, if it's not going across multiple industries, it doesn't make my report. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm trying to do is elevate the thinking to say, look, this is a trend that's affecting multiple things. If you think about strategic downgrading, for example, you know, that's something that's affecting music. It's affecting, um, you know, technology and phones. It's affecting book sales. It's affecting like, you know, farming methods with like farmers choosing to go with earlier versions of tractors that they can fix instead of the ones that have software in them. So, you know, this is across multiple industries. And that's what I think makes it really powerful. Yeah. For example, I do a trends article every year. And a lot of what I do is I talk to different people. So I'll say, for example, okay, so what are you seeing in the area of millennials? And basically the, and the, the trend that I spotted was all of a sudden people waking up and realizing, okay, it's not so much millennials and this, this amorphous thing. It's look guys, this is the single greatest concentration of consumers and buyers on the planet today. So you know, I, I believe that the way I characterize it was, look, you're, gonna, you're seeing people stopping complaining about millennials and starting to really recognize that, OK, this is the largest segment of the population. This isn't the exception. This is the rule. Yeah, exactly. And, and we, we need to adapt to how they um, how they actually interact and and how they behave differently. And one of the things I pointed out was, look, our generation, the people before us thought we were a pain in the butt. Yeah. And and that probably happens with every generation. So it's not like millennials are this unique breed. It's just it's it's a it's a change in kind of that generational gap that becomes more noticeable because there's kind of a delineation. 
Well, and I think one of the things that I advocate for people to do, like when I go in and do like a, a trend workshop at a organization teaching people how to think in this way, one of the things that I advocate for them to do is as soon as they hear about a tool or a platform that just doesn't make any sense to them, you know, that's a sign that you should go and immediately download it and try it out. Yeah. And so like a perfect example of that is Venmo, um, which, you know, anybody in your audience under 30 will know, but many of the people over 30 might not have heard of. And Venmo is basically a social payment um, uh, network. And so what it allows you to do is pay your friends. So let's say, you know, one of you paid for dinner. Uh, you can pay that person your par- portion of dinner rather than splitting the check at the restaurant, which is more complicated sometimes. Yep. But along with paying somebody, you can actually put a note in there about what the payment's for and send that out to your entire network. So anybody over 30 or maybe over 35 is probably thinking about that and saying, well, why the hell would I want to tell other people in my network why I'm paying somebody and how much I'm paying somebody. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but if you get in there and you start playing with it, you start to realize how this network works and how the behavior is actually shifting around that being a signature statement. It's almost like it was a couple years ago when people would check into a location that they physically were at so that they would tell their network, hey, I'm here, which also seems strange to some people. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but but you know what? But but it's something that over time you see picking up. So so let's think about the the average person who's working in the in their business today. What are two or three things that they can do to start to curate these trends? Um, because obviously, if they have a sense of where the world is going, then they probably have a strong competitive advantage in getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that what I, one of the things I talk about in the book is, well, learning to do this for yourself doesn't require you to be some sort of magical guru or have some sort of crazy training. It's not like I went to uh, school and did a PhD in, in futurology or futurist training. And, you know, by the way, there are programs that teach people how to do that. And, yeah, and the people who go through them are the ones who say by 2050, there's going to be X number of old people in the world. And therefore, we're going to have flying cars and robotic nurses. And, you know, I mean, those are the people who do that stuff. Or robotic cars and flying nurses. Yeah, exactly. Or both, you know, like <laughs> together somehow. <laughs> It'll be crazy. The future will be crazy, right? But um, for me, I focus on uh, trends one year out. And I think that to me, what it comes down to is five uh, habits that any of us can learn how to do. And so that's what I talk about in the book. And the first habit um, is to be more observant, uh, to just pay attention to things that other people don't. And yeah, I think that that is tough for us generally, because you know when you wait in line at a supermarket, what are you doing? You're on your phone. You're not looking around and paying attention to the world. You're you know waiting and trying to pass the time while waiting by maybe playing Candy Crush or checking your email or whatever it is. And so we have to train ourselves to be more observant. So what kinds of things would, should people be observing? Well, I pay attention to insignificance a lot. Um, and one of the stories I tell from the stage when I'm doing a talk is being at a dinner and paying attention to how the desserts were getting delivered and realizing that when one waiter took the order for desserts, uh, he actually created a code, and I started calling it the dessert code. And his dessert code was to put the dessert spoon on the top of your plate if you ordered the first option of dessert, and put the dessert spoon on the right of your plate if you ordered the second option. And so all the 
other waiters had to do was come in. They saw where the spoon was, and they just put the dessert down in front of you based on where the spoon was. That I mean, was you're the kind of guy who moves the spoon. <laughs> actually, my friend, you're the kind of guy who moves the spoon. <laughs> you know what? You're I, absolutely right. I, I am the guy it, who moves uh, the spoon. <laughs> I watch it happen, and then I talk about it afterwards. But <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about that is like that process – let me understand how dessert got delivered. Now, you're probably, you know, many of your listeners are probably sitting there thinking, well, you know, who cares? What, what's the big deal about that? But my point in telling that story is our world is filled with processes like that. Our world is filled with spoon codes like that. And we're used to not paying attention to them. And if we can train ourselves to pay attention to them, we can understand something new about the situations that we're in that maybe we didn't see before. So the first habit, be more observant. And look about the th- look at the things that other people might find insignificant. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. What else should they do? Uh, being curious is the second one. Um, and okay. you know, you generally hear, well, yeah, be curious, ask questions. Um, the trick I use for being curious is when I'm traveling, and I travel all the time, as I know you do. Um, I always go into an airport bookstore and I buy a magazine that's not targeted towards me. And by doing that, I learn about you know what superstars teenage girls are paying attention to, or you know sometimes I'll pick up Modern Farmer magazine, or last week I picked up Knives magazine. There's an entire magazine dedicated to buying knives, not cooking knives, like hunting knives. But by the way, I got I got to tell you that the few times that I have bought the Teen magazine, the Teen Girl magazine, I get some strange looks, so I don't <laughs> buy that one anymore. Uh, you got to be <laughs> confident with it, man. Roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If you come, you show you show up onto a plane with seventeen magazine under your arm, you're gonna get some looks. Unless unless I'm traveling with my teenage daughter, then it's okay. So be more observant. Yep. Be curious. Um, the third one is be thoughtful, um, and being thoughtful means actually taking time to think. So my process involves collecting information for the entire year, putting it in a folder where I capture stories, I print out things, I rip them out of magazines. And at the end of the year, I go back and I start looking at all of these things and I find that the, I have the value of perspective. You know, it's sort of like um, backseat uh, driving or, or Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, like you have more perspective because you've taken time. And there's a reason why you come up with your best ideas in the shower. It's not because of the water of the shower. It's because you've separated yourself from what you were doing and given yourself time to think. And so, you know, I think that we have to be more intentional about taking time to think and so that we can come up with better ideas instead of saying, oh, well, we'll just have a brainstorm and come up with stuff on the spot and be done with it. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I think I think it's a it's an interesting perspective. I think about my trends article where there are, there are 10 trends. What most people don't realize is I start with over 20 and I kind of curate down. And part of what I start to see is, you know what? Actually, these these three individual trends that I saw are actually one trend that's a higher level trend across those three. And it's when I let the idea kind of brew for a couple of months that it comes to the foreground. Um, otherwise, I don't even see it. Yeah, you're describing, um, you know, you're perfectly describing the process of elevation, right? Which is taking an idea that's smaller and elevating it to something bigger. And that does take time. You're right. Now, is that one of the five habits? That is one of the uh, steps of the method that I use, which I call the haystack method. So that's a separate part of the book, but yes. Yep. So, so we've, got, we've got three of the five habits. Can we share with, with people what the other two are? Yeah. The, um, the third and fourth one are be fickle, which is capture an idea and then move on. Don't dwell on it for too long. Um, 
And the last one is be elegant. And being elegant is, you know, say things in beautiful ways, craft them in a way that is descriptive but also memorable. Um, and this might be driven by the fact that yeah, I was once an English major and studied poetry. And if you think about how poetry is written, every word is intentional. And I think that when we describe things like trends, we have to use that same sort of care because that's what really sticks in people's minds. And so every time I describe a trend, I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'm going to name it. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the things that I often share with my clients is I say to them, I said, look, if you want to capture your potential market's attention, you can either go in and talk about your stuff, you can talk about what's going to be of, of interest to them, or you can say, hey, look, you know, I'd be happy to come in and share with you some of the trends that we're seeing in your industry. And what I will tell you is that nine times out of 10, people want to hear about what trends are going on in their industry and their world. So to your point of trends aren't industry specific, I agree. However, for that client on the other end to say, hey, here are some trends that we're seeing, and I'd love to talk to you about how those apply in the industry to see if any of them are relevant to you is a great way to get into um, a potential client. And it's something that I think that a lot of people overlook and they rely on someone else to identify, uh, identify and curate these trends rather than taking it on themselves. Yeah, I think it's, it, there's a huge value in doing it yourself versus relying on someone else. Um, and I think that the other thing that you're pointing out, which is actually something I do all the time, is I take these trends, which are specifically not for industries, and I go into a particular industry and I say, hey, here are the trends and here's how they apply in your industry. So I'm taking those trends all the time and using examples to bring them to life within a particular industry. But I don't start from the point of saying this is only a trend for this industry. Yeah. Let me ask you, what's the biggest single lesson that you've learned? In, in, and I, I know you've, you've been involved with companies from big to small and have got a pretty impressive background. What's the biggest lesson that you learned that other people can benefit from? I think that it is the idea that we often use a lack of time as an excuse for avoiding being thoughtful. And thoughtfulness comes into play, obviously, when you're doing trends, like what I'm talking about, but it also comes into play when you're developing the right strategy or when you're taking time to foster people instead of just demanding that they do your stuff, you know, drop everything else and, and you know, generally being a bad leader. And so I think that for me, the biggest lesson is there's always time to be thoughtful. And the cost of not being thoughtful is uh, extreme in many cases. It's uh, bad relationships. It's losing time. It's wasting time. It's losing money. Um, so I remind myself all the time, and this is sort of the same advice. I mean, I know you and I did, did speaker training, and the speaking equivalent of that is take time to shut up, breathe, you know, pause, reflect, and then speak. Yeah. And, you know, in my, uh, the shortest way I can kind of describe my background is one of the things I say in my uh, bio on Twitter, which, you know, most people know is very limited in terms of space. And what I say there is I listen first, then talk. And I think that's a symbol of being thoughtful. It's, you know, listen first, then talk. Sure. I think it's great. And, and I think anybody in the audience who has an opportunity to hear you speak should carve out the time to do it. Um, the, the, 
the concepts that you share from the stage on everything related from from trends to marketing ideas. I mean, I love when you share you know whatever is recent in the news and how that ties into trends and how that ties into marketing messages is just really fantastic. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you, Rowett? Uh, so my website's the best way to both get a hold of me and also see insights. It's uh, rohitbargava.com. Yep. I just started a weekly curated newsletter, which is basically the top stories of the week, along with a quick take on why it matters. Every Thursday morning. Every Thursday morning. You got it. And, and we'll obviously have this all this linked up in the show notes, so don't kill yourself writing it down. It's uh, dot com. Rowett's got a ton of great information there. You can also get access to his myriad of best-selling books. And Rowett, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ian. I love the way Rowett's mind works to help us identify and curate these ideas that help us predict the future. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the top few things I think you can use and apply to your business. First, we can't spot trends. Trends require curation. Trends are not industry-specific, and you don't need to be a futurist. Instead, there are five habits. Be more observant, curious, thoughtful, fickle, and in the end, be elegant and make your trends memorable so they have an impact on others. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show, if there's a topic you'd like me to include, just drop me an email directly at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at growmyrevenue.com.